Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. We have uh, someone who is a friend of the show. He is the Axios reporter that we talk to, I think, the most because we love the work that he does. And uh, he's got something very serious to talk with us about today. It's Isaac Avalusea. He is a reporter for Axios, and he's going to tell us about what's going on with these four police officers who have now been reinstated to the Philadelphia Police off, uh, Department, despite some pretty serious allegations. And in some cases, they actually admitted to the wrongdoing. How are you doing today, Isaac? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Good to see you. It's good to see you as well. Well, you just did a story on uh, the four officers who were reinstated, as I just said, to their roles in the Philadelphia Police Department with back pay and benefits, I'm told. Tell us about uh, the story. Yeah. So, you know, you have four of these officers who were fired between 2019 and 2022 for various different offenses. Some of them uh, were accused of, in one case, soliciting a woman for oral sex while on the job, responding to a, a, a nine, uh, an emergency call. Uh, and then some of the other cases, they were officers were accused of ma- making racial slurs or or racist and, and offensive Facebook posts. Uh, among other things. And uh, you you have a a system that is set up in place um, to benefit officers. And there's been countless research done about this arbitration system, this binding arbitration system. And uh, researchers have found that it's a flawed system because what it does is in a lot of cases in many departments across the country, it gives an arbitrator outsized power to make the final call in a disciplinary case. So you have internal affairs that investigates the allegations, either makes or doesn't make a case against the officer that gets forwarded up the chain. And then, uh, you know, in some cases, in in some of these cases, Commissioner Outlaw actually took direct action to terminate the officers before the entire disciplinary process was completed. And then some of these officers appealed to binding arbitration, and that's how they were able to get their jobs back. And, um, you know, there's nothing the city can do but accept that outcome that the arbitrator um, deems in each case. So it, it's, a, it's really a flawed system. It's a system that has been criticized through and through for, for years. And despite the city's efforts to make uh, enact reform and make changes in, in 2020, 2019 as part of the last uh, collective bargaining agreement, we still have a system in place that is bringing officers who are accused, incredibly accused in many cases of of egregious misconduct back to the force. You know, this cozy relationship between the arbitrators and the police union, how how did that come about? Do we have any sense of of why that is still the case? So the, the way they kind of tried to reform the arbitration system was um, in 2019, they, they came to this agreement that both sides have a say in the arbitrators that are p- placed on this panel. It's a panel of up to 10 arbitrators. Um, the way it works is each side uh, gets to agree on a certain amount of arbitrators, or if they agree on, for example, let's say they agree on six arbitrators that 
both sides are okay with being on this panel. The the other four get basically divvied up among the two sides. So one side gets to pick two and the other side gets to pick two. Um, now, these arbitrators are assigned case basically in a systematic um, uh, in a systematic way. But the kicker here is that each side still has the power to take off an arbitrator from the panel. And in a lot of cases, some of these legal experts are saying, well, there is an external influence uh, of if you're an arbitrator, you feel compelled to, in, in the words of one of the experts I talked to, David Rodowski there at UPenn, split the baby in these disciplinary cases because you don't want to overly anger one side or another. Because in a lot of cases, your livelihood depends on not getting removed from that arbitrator panel. And if you want to continue to hear cases and you want to continue to make money from hearing those cases, you're going to do your your darndest to uh, to try to see that one side or the other isn't unsatisfied with your efforts and doesn't want you removed from that panel. Right. So basically, uh, there's a profit motive here, potentially, for some of these arbitrators. How are they? You know, some of these things seem to happen uh, with little transparency. How are these arbitrators even found and, and, and who are they? Good question. I mean, we know the names of some of them, but um, I'm actually trying to dig a little bit deeper into that issue just to try to figure out who these arbitrators are. And, uh, you know, I want to know who who. If, if it's true, how many of these arbitrators that have at one point served on this panel have been kicked since 2019, since this system has been in place? Because, you know, if it's 20, 30 arbitrators, and, and I'm just speculating, I don't know, I have to wait for that public records request. Right. But if you say 20, 30 arbitrators, I want to know, is it the union that's kicking more arbitrators? Is it is it the city that's kicking arbitrators? Um, who's making the call on this? And um, you know, how, how does how does the system really work behind the scenes? I think we don't have um, a lot of information of, about how the current system kind of works and and how lucrative it is for these arbitrators. I mean, uh, that's kind of why I put in some of these public records requests to get a better idea of that. But um, I'm still waiting on that. And it could take months to get some of those records with with the backlog of public records requests in Philadelphia. I mean, where do they call the ar- arbitrators from? Are these lawyers? Are these judges? Are these private citizens? And how much are they being paid? Are those some of the things that you're working on finding out? I know a few of the answers. I don't know exactly how much they're being paid. I'm still waiting on those kind of invoices and financial records. But a, a lot of these arbitrators are lawyers. And um, if they're not, they have to go through very specific training um, and they have to have uh, years of experience kind of dealing with labor issues and labor cases if they're not lawyers. But, yes, the vast majority of these arbitrators are are lawyers. So um, and and I believe in all these cases that I examine, all, all four of them were, in fact, lawyers. And in some cases, you have arbitrators that were responsible for, for multiple decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's pretty standard, because if you look at the contract. In order to be an arbitrator, you have to agree to hear at least five cases a year. 
Okay. And so, but we don't know if their relationships with the police or the city or what these lawyers, you know, who who's determining how these lawyers get appointed to becoming arbitrators, who they might have cozy relationships with and how much they're being paid. Because five cases a year, depending on how many billable hours, I guess, if you're a lawyer that you're charging uh, the city or the police union, that could turn out to be some nice money. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, we have some of their names and in some cases, I know there, there, there's been reporting. The Inquirer did some reporting a few years ago and found that one arbitrator ruled in the union's favor more often than not. And, you know, if we zoom out a little bit, the Inquirer did some reporting a few years ago that found that in 70 percent of cases they examined between 2011 and 2019, the union succeeded in either getting uh uh, discipline overturned or reduced, the punishments reduced. So, you know, talk a, about a system that factually and actually is benefiting the very officers that are supposed to be being held accountable by a disciplinary system. Right. Now, what are these officers getting uh, now that they're being reinstated? They're getting full back pay. They're getting uh, how, what exactly do they uh, get now that they have been reinstated and what don't they get? So I'm, I'm curious to see how much it's going to amount to. I, I imagine it's going to be a significant chunk of change because some of these individuals have been out since 2019. So you're talking about years time. So, but what they're not entitled to in the four cases that, that were decided, their firings were reduced to suspensions mm -hmm. varying from 30 days to 45 days. The officers are not entitled to any back pay uh, during the periods that they're serving their suspensions, but they are entitled to back pay and benefits after their suspensions have been concluded. Now, the one caveat is if they earned any sort of outside income while they've been sidelined, that amount, they have to provide documentation to the city documenting how much outside earned income they received during that period, and that amount gets subtracted from any final payout. And then what about pensions? Are they restored to full pension despite uh, the, these uh, allegations and the suspension? So in some cases, like the case with Sergeant Joseph Piaporka, he had actually retired to early to preserve his pension when some of these allegations that he was posting insensitive um, and racist Facebook posts uh, was exposed by the Plain View Project. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, in, in, in many of these cases, they're, you know, they're, they're reinstated with back pay, full benefits, pension preserved. So Piers Parker, uh, for, fortunately, although he has been uh, reinstated, he has already retired and will not be returning to the Philadelphia police forces. It seems as though what you're saying, because he was the officer who was found to have made uh, over 100, I believe, racist and offenses, uh, offensive Facebook posts. Expand on, on, on uh, his case and, and how that plays out. Yeah, over over a hundred hundred posts uh, in the city filings. They called him one of the worst, if not the worst, offender uh, among dozens of officers that were fired for making some of those posts. Um, now, as I recall, I believe he did in fact retire to preserve his pension uh, before this process played out, and then he's one of I believe a dozen officers that was pursuing a federal 
civil rights lawsuit to uh, bite back against the city for for firing over what he believes are First Amendment protected activity. Um, now, it is a little bit unclear to me. I would imagine that he's going to probably stay retired and just recoup his benefits from the period that he's entitled to to get those back. But I haven't heard definitively one way or another whether uh, whether that's the case from the city. And, he- and I also don't know how much the uh, lump sum the, the city owes to all four of these officers. But uh, rest assured, we're going to keep pursuing that and, and try to figure out how much the, the city is going to pay have to pay back to restore officers who had some really serious allegations brought against them. Right. So he was one of the officers that was revealed by the Plain View Project, which was an independent uh, effort to find or identify these officers that were posting all these things on their personal Facebook pages about uh, it was homophobic, it was misogynistic, it was racist. There were all these things. And he was one of the worst offenders. And now taxpayers will basically pay uh, his back pay, even though he was uh, accused in 2019 and I guess retired, as you said, to try and preserve his pension. Now, uh, there's other officers there of the four, obviously we're talking about his case, but what about these other officers? What were they accused of doing? Because they are, uh, returning to the force. Is that not the case? True. Uh, officer Eddie Garo Garcia had his firing reduced to a 45 day suspension after he admitted during the arbitration proceeding that he at the very least flirted with a woman uh, whose house he responded to on a call and made comments about her lips. Now, she told Internal Affairs that she interpreted the comments that he made about her lips. And then she she claimed that uh, he basically asked her to accompany him to the bathroom inside of her home. She interpreted those uh, comments as a request for oral sex. Mm. The officer denied that during the arbitration hearing. And what ended up happening is this woman died before the arbitration hearing. So the arbitrator who decided uh, Mr. Garo Garcia's case didn't feel comfortable finding since there was op- the officer denied requesting oral sex. He didn't feel comfortable concluding that the officer had, in fact, requested oral sex without the woman's direct testimony. So uh, that was the basis for reducing his firing. And then we had another case, Lieutenant Anthony McFadden, and I'm sure you remember his case. It was widely covered in 2022. This is the officer who was uh, caught on tape using a racial slur, the N-word, on a recorded line during a discussion with a dispatcher. Mm. And and if if you remember, this was before Sherelle Parker was mayor. She was a councilwoman at the time, but she had said that the, the city should not should have zero tolerance for any use of racial slur, especially from a sworn officer, somebody who's, uh, uh, you know, paid to uh, serve and protect citizens of the city. Uh, You're talking about uh, a city in Philadelphia that has a high uh, minority population. I believe it's 43 percent black residents and there are at least uh, 15, 16 percent Latino in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of mind boggling that uh, the arbitrator felt like this individual was could be re- rehabilitated and restored to the force. Um, what I will say is this arbitrator did add one other stipulation 
as a as a part of restoring Mr. McFadden, and he's required to appear before the police commissioner, the dispatcher who was on the line with him, and then also the Citizens Police Oversight Commission to apologize directly for using that racial slur. I mean, his his explanation was that it was not directed toward the dispatcher, that he doesn't usually use that type of language, and that somebody had cut him off on the road and made him spill his coffee and his lunch, and he got frustrated and angry and uttered this awful slur. Except that your story says that he is a two-time offender. In fact, that he is on a do not call witness list that was released by prosecutors in 2018. And this officer who you were saying used the N-word because he was frustrated because of a traffic incident and uh, said this on a recorded line that he is going to go back onto the Philadelphia streets. He's a lieutenant, so I'm not sure if he'll be on the streets or, or doing more administrative work um, like some of these higher ranking brass supervisors. But I, I think the import from this is that you have an individual that is on a do not call list who admitted in a previous internal affairs investigation to sending inappropriate sexual text messages to a prostitute, drinking alcohol on duty and driving a city car after drinking alcohol per uh, reporting from the previous reporting from the Inquirer. So uh, not only does he have this latest incident where he's using a racial slur, but this individual has a documented history and it's not a good one. But he is going back to work for the Philadelphia Police Department, even though he has now had two 30-day suspensions. And I think that's the other question. Even these suspensions, based on uh, these things that have come to light, seem pretty light. 30-day suspension, I mean, 90 days, 120 days, a couple of months. None of these suspensions are, were longer than 45 days? Correct. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a city. It, it's, it's a system the city has struggled with. Uh, it, it's a it's a system that has been in place for decades um, as part of a broader state law that gives uh, officers this extra arbitration uh, perk in exchange for not being able to strike on the job. Um, so they're afforded a level of protection, um, labor protection that your everyday worker does not have and is not entitled to. Um, and that makes that process especially burdensome and difficult for the city to try to get rid of rogue and problematic officers. On top of that, during the arbitration hearing, they have to prove seven factors. Um, and if the arbitrator finds that the city didn't prove all seven factors, even if it's just one, they can reduce uh, the termination or, or the suspension or whatever the disciplinary outcome was, if they, they find that one of them isn't proven. Um, and, and in a lot of these cases, the arbitrator was saying, well, the city didn't consider some of these more veteran officers um, years of service. Because in McFadden's case, he's been on the force nearly three decades, if not longer. And, uh, you know, apparently, <laughs> I guess they glossed over this previous uh, finding, but, uh, you know, the, the arbitrator felt like some of these individuals, they can be rehabilita rehabilitated. Uh, it was their first offense and they should be given uh, another opportunity to redeem themselves. 
I mean, after three decades on the force and multiple uh, allegations, some of which have been proven, but there's still an opportunity for him to redeem himself. This is the judgment of these arbitrators whose origin we don't know and whose payment we don't know at this time. Correct. It's a very opaque system. It's a system that needs to be explored more. And I'm working to, to kind of bring some of those facts out uh, because I imagine, you know, I'm just surmising, but I imagine it's a very lucrative system for those arbitrators. And I'm interested to see the behind the scenes machinations of what's going on, who's getting kicked, who's staying on, how many cases does each arbitrator get? Or, or you know, they have to have five, but is one arbitrator getting 15 and another arbitrator is getting the bare minimum. Um, all those questions, stay tuned. We're looking for those answers. Well, Isaac Avalusea, as always, you are bringing us some insight on these critical cases uh, to the city. And thank you so much for being with us on Reality Check, a friend of the show, as always. Good seeing you, Tanya. Take care. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.